Yo, what's up? It's Spencer from Under Oath and Slow Tide, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I am your host, Keith, and we're back with another brand new episode. And on the show today, we have Mike Hironica of The Devil Wears Prada, and we cover everything in this conversation. The band, their creative process, Mike joining the band, that first tryout, a lot of mental health and surviving the pandemic talk. This conversation has everything. It goes in a lot of good directions, and that's coming up shortly. But first, here's how you can support the new scene. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Five star reviews. Leave a five star review for us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And did you know that you can write a review on Apple Podcasts? Leave a review and let us know what you think of the show. Shirts. We have t-shirts and a long sleeve shirt available at Deathwish Inc. Head over to their site, search the new scene, and you'll see our fine selection of shirts. It's getting warm out there, and you know what? A new scene t-shirt would look very good on you. Also, don't forget to support Iodine Recordings, Drowning Man, Busy Signal at the Suicide Hotline, and There Were Wires, self-titled LP. Those remasters are out. Right now, Busy Signal at the Suicide Hotline is, of course, the classic debut LP from Drowning Man, and it features two bonus tracks from their split with Dillinger Escape Plan. The There Were Wires record was remixed by the legendary Kurt Ballou and features some out-of-print B-sides. These are great records. Pick them up now. Jerome's Dream, The Gray In Between is out now. Have you heard that? You should. I've been listening to that a lot. I'm digging on that one. And sign up for the iodine email list. You'll find out about everything first. For more information, head to the iodine Instagram at iodine recordings or to the iodine website at iodinerecordings.com. And don't forget to support this month's sponsor, Deathwish Inc. Gouge Away is back with a new single, Idealized. You can catch them on tour this summer in the U.S. Converge! Jane Live is out July 7th. That's a live recording of the legendary Converge performing the legendary LP, Jane Doe, at the legendary Roadburn Festival. Pre-order your copy now. Loma Prieta Last is out June 30th. Check out their single, Glare, now, and catch them on tour this summer. For more information, head to the Deathwish Instagram at Deathwish Inc. Or head to the Deathwish website at deathwishinc.com. Okay, let's talk music recommendations. How about that? Remember when Dennis Lixen of Refused was on the show? Remember that? Well, he's in another band, Invasion, that he talked about. It's spelled I-N-V-S-N, Invasion. And they have a song, Distorted Heartbeat, that I've really been digging on. I recommend that. And Dennis was talking about the band Donuts, who I confused with Doughboys. 
So I went back and listened to Doughboys again. Great band. Check out the song Shine. I'll add those to the new scene 2023 Spotify playlist. Find that playlist, follow it. I put all of our guests on there, all of our recommendations, everything. Okay, so check back in with me in segment three. I saw the Callous Dow Boys live last weekend at St. Vitus. I'll talk about that. We'll read some listener email. I'm celebrating another year clean and sober, and I'll talk about that as well. But right now, we are going to speak to Mike Hiranica of The Devil Wears Prada. Enjoy. All right, we are here now with Mike Hiranica. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Mike, it's great to have you here. You've done a lot. You're doing a lot. You're on a giant tour right now with August Burns Red for their 20th anniversary, but on a break right now, correct? That is correct, yep. And you know what? We're going to talk about all of that. We're going to get there. But first, I need to ask you one thing, Mike, and that is, how are you doing today? (laughs) I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Sunday is my espresso date with my lady, so we go over to a local spot and read books and uh, enjoy some good coffee and now just uh, busy errands and whatnot and, uh, yeah, having, having a chat. That sounds like a great day. You know what? I did something for the first time I've never done today. I got so overwhelmed with everything, and I'm sure you can relate to this, social media accounts, obligations. Uh, check demos, all this stuff. I, I turned off my phone at 5 a.m. this morning. I put it away. I'm not going to look at it for the rest of the day. I'm going to do as little as possible. I love that. You know, I actually try to make a point that Sunday is my uh, uh, shut down my MacBook for the day. Um, you know, kind of like a weekly ritual as well. But uh, a lot of catching up to do since getting home from tour Wednesday. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I, I like to live frivolously from time to time and go places without my cell phone, which is uh, terrifying, but but equally liberating at the same time. Isn't it strange how terrifying it is? Just yesterday, I meet my friend in the park and we sit there and like feed squirrels and sit outside and, and bullshit. And I'm heading to the subway. I realize I forgot my phone and I panicked. And then I said, you know what? Just go. Live, man. Live. You don't need the phone. <laughs> For sure. It's like if I'm travel, you know, just driving 
you know, doing errands in my car or something, I'm like, well, if I don't have my phone, what, what happens if I like break down? It's like, no, you, you, <laughs> you'll survive. This isn't Siberia and you know, phones there either. So, <laughs> I mean, we were around before cell phones. We can do it. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. It's hard to imagine that time. Yeah. But Mike, it's great to have you here today. You're so you're on a bit of a break from the August Burns Red tour. I just spoke with uh, Brent from August Burns Red. In fact, it sounds like that tour is going very well. Yes, it is. It uh, we the. ABR split it up into two legs. So we do a month and then about a month home and then another month on the road, which is wonderful, wonderful. We're, we're much, at least speaking on my behalf, we're much too old to do eight weeks in a row. So uh, yeah, I get to come home and decompress and then get back out there and uh, get at it again. But um, yeah, the first leg was absolutely wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. That's awesome. Do you do any eight week like really long tours like that anymore or is it usually split up no absolutely not we, we in <laughs> in 2010 we did about eight and a half weeks um through the summer i have no idea how we did it i i think back to that from time to time and it, it's it's i it, it, it's i don't know it, it it's panic invoking to to consider <laughs> but um yeah, these days, you know, if we're up around six weeks, it's uh, it's time to to get home and and give it a break. Was that 2010 tour the last time you did a tour that long? I believe so. You know, that was in the midst of the Warp Tour days, and I know some of the early Warp Tours were pretty long as well. Um, and then by the time those were tapering off, there weren't as many dates, but. Um, at least to my recollection, and I, I certainly won't vouch for my sense of memory <laughs> from, you know, 13 years ago. But uh, yeah, to, to my recollection, that was the longest, I think. How do you know it's time not to do that anymore? Are you just like, I can't do it. I'm exhausted. Like, what's the vibe? I, you know, I love to sleep. If I'm not getting good regular sleep, then I'm, I'm absolutely dysfunctional. Um, completely, you know, unproductive. I can't do anything. So even at like the end of this four week stint, you know, I, I, you know, the band prod is only playing 45 minutes, you know, ABR is doing 90. So it's not that hard on us, not by any means. We had a 90 minute set towards the end of last year. And I know what a, what a toll that can take, but even just a short 45 minute set and everything, like I can, I get in my bunk and I can easily knock out 10, 11 hours and still be tired. So I think that, that that can certainly be an indicator as far as like, oh my goodness, I am and just feeling like a sloth, just like a, a, a highly elevated sense of, you know, lethargic. It's incredible that no matter how much sleep you get, you're just still tired, right? Like sometimes I'll go to bed at 9.30 p.m., 10 p.m., doesn't matter, still going to be tired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm one to uh, enjoy beer regularly so i'm sure if i if i kick the habit i wouldn't feel as tired as i often do in the morning but you know that's a that's a conversation for another time i'll have that with my doctor as i do every year ah uh, yes yes <laughs> well that that's a you know if you ever want to have a deeper conversation about that you know mike i myself enjoyed beer so much that i had to give it up forever Re yeah 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 i hear that so i uh I, let's just say I'm much less tired now than I was before. <laughs> yeah, it's funny what alcohol does. It's amazing. 
<laughs> I, or, and not amazing, like, I mean, amazing that, it, let's say this, it's amazing what the human body can survive. True, true. Yeah. I, I that's, you know, again, doing 45 <laughs> minutes as well, it's almost maybe more tiresome because if I was up on stage, you know, exercising and doing my thing, I'd probably spend less time at the bar and, you know, perched up on the bus watching hockey, drinking sodas, but uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a lifestyle change. You know, I had to completely change my entire life um, and get all new friends and everything. And you know what? That's hard to do. It certainly is. Um, I, uh, a good buddy of mine is five months sober now and I know how well that's treating him. And as we're all, you know, getting moving quickly from our early thirties into middle thirties and on it's uh, you know, it's not the college days not that I was in college, but I, I know the, <laughs> you know, that kind of honeymoon period of just, you know, punishing yourself with booze. Um, it's uh, hydration is important. I'll, I'll also say that in terms of, of being out on the road. How old are you now? I am 34. Oh, nice. Yeah. See, I'm 40. I turned 41 in January and I didn't really start feeling things until I was 40. You know, eyesight, eyesight started to go, had to get glasses. 34, shh, you don't even want to know what I was up to still at your age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I I know there will be compromises. There already are compromises, you know, that are rearing their heads uh, quickly. But um, yeah, um, you know, I, I quite like my 30s. You know, when I was 29, I actually told everyone I was 30 just because I, I wanted to get out of that kind of purgatory period. So, well, there are a lot of uh, or a number of, you know, downsides to getting older. I certainly uh, I, I can look at it with with a bit of perspective and and uh, in admiration. And, you know, there there's I always kind of think of in terms of like writers and musicians and the 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 artists that I've looked up to my whole life and when they created certain pieces of work and, and at what age, you know, there's, there's only, you know, Ian Curtis in terms of making <laughs> stuff really young. There, there are of course other examples too, but um, you know, a lot of the, the artists I admired it and they wrote their best work, you know, certainly North of 34. So thirties aren't bad. We, we have some younger uh, ladies and gentlemen on, on the tour bus with Prada these days that, you know, we, we celebrate their birthdays and whatnot. And, I don't know. Getting old isn't so bad. And uh, I think the other fellows would uh, would tend to agree with me in, in a number of different ways. Yeah, I don't mind it because I don't have the energy and maybe the looks that I did when I was 25, but I actually have money now. I can afford <laughs> things. When I want to do something, I can just do it. You know, when I was 25, I had nothing, nothing. Yeah, yeah. You know, Prado was at one time doing quite well when I was like 23 and I was smart enough to, to buy a condo rather than, you know, renting forever. But, um, there's certainly, you know, having a savings account would have gone a long way rather than buying things of absolutely no importance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but you know, I, 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 I can take care of myself. I, I, I'm figuring things out, you know, how old were you when you we're at that first practice where you just jumped in and, you know, tried out singing for the band. I was 16. Um, 16 years old. I was, yeah. The the band was, so it's funny to think there, my kind of scope for, for Prada is that I've been doing this half my lifetime, but 
um, yeah, the, the, the quick story is that I was friends with the guys in the band and they were starting this, this project and I was a fan of it, the demo they had and the, the one song they had, the singer could never make it to practice cause he didn't have a car. So they started auditioning other members and they had one dude come show up and he's like, I don't know the song. And, and, you know, again, we're 16 to 18 years old and the other guys were like, just scream anything, like do anything. <laughs> and he just didn't do anything. So I, I took the mic and I knew the song and I'm like, just something like this. And I just did the song and the guy's like, wow, Mike, you should actually join the band. And I was like, okay. Was the other guy still standing there when you did that? Yeah. And it, at the time the band needed a second guitar player and that dude, while I played guitar and I'm certainly <laughs> not a guitarist of any sort of, uh, noteworthy variety even today i certainly was back then um so that dude was supposed to start playing guitar as the second guitar player um i'm not sure what happened to him actually or why he was rejected but um along came jeremy and yeah the the three (laughs) the three members that weren't so much founders um are became the three longest standing members and now the two longest standing members being Uh, Jeremy and myself. I've been in that situation where you're trying out singers and you're playing the song and like the the supposed singer is just there and they won't sing. Isn't that, it's kind of weird. It is. And, you know, to be fair, it is uh, a pretty vulnerable position to be in. I, I, um, before Kyle joined the Devil Wars Prada, him and I were making songs together and we created a band and we've recorded and, done some shows and whatnot it's the the project's been um widely inactive for a while now but when him and i started the band i was supposed to be playing bass and he was playing guitar and um i really didn't want to sing the last thing i wanted to do was sing and then i passed along the demo to some friends and i remember one pal he he submitted you know a track with it or a, a take and it was so absolutely terrible so I get it, you know, if, if the vision's still in a line, it can be uh, a vulnerable position. Yeah, especially, I guess, as singer, because, you know, if you know the song, you know the song, or if you're good enough at your instrument, maybe you can do something over it. But singing is, singing is scary. I sang for the first time in a band in 2017, and it was one of the scariest things I've ever done. It's, uh, I don't know, I've, I, I... I don't know if I'd say I'm callous to it these days, but I certainly feel like when I record, um, I'm, I'm in a comfortable place to be able to just kind of let loose. I, I know what's going to happen. I know what I'm capable of. And if I'm trying something that maybe let's say I'm not so capable of, I don't really feel any kind of monumental embarrassment or anything to, to put myself out there. The band and Prada's worked so religiously with john who who is a member of the band and plays keyboards and songwriter producer that i feel like i could go and do like some egregious act of nonsense recording with him and i wouldn't feel any kind of embarrassment if it was terrible whatever i was trying so um i don't know i i think it's also maybe a matter of of your judgment and what exactly you're trying to ed- execute um i'm certainly no one to I, 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 I've come to find that I really don't like a, a male singer that sings well. Um, <laughs> I, I've always liked character and kind of, you know, playing outside the box a bit. So 
Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just leave that there. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever tried something outside of your comfort zone and people had to be like, uh, maybe not. I'm, you know, a, a specific example isn't so much sticking out to me, but I know that when John and I work together and he's recording me, you know, I'll do however many, you know, anything from six to 10 to 12 takes for whatever part we're working on. And I'm sure there are some in there that he's, he's soloing out later and listening to and be like, Oh, miss, miss the target on that one. Um, but yeah, you, you know, I, I'm, I'm comfortable where I'm at recording. And um, we, we recorded some, some stuff on the bus, this most recent run on that ABR tour. And, you know, he's shut off the air conditioning on the, on the bus and just kind of pounded out and, I, yeah, I don't really feel any sense of, um, uh, again, that kind of vulnerability or nakedness, if you will. Yeah, I mean, you guys are professionals. You've been doing this a long time now. Yeah, super pro. Nothing says pro like <laughs> like Prada. <laughs> <laughs> so John seems like the gatekeeper of, uh, I've heard you say, you know, like the ideas will go through him and he'll put them together and piece them together. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So wait, so you guys will actually record on the tour bus? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if we've ever recorded anything on the tour bus that's been then featured on like a full length record. Um, I just did like a, a guest vocal part and there's this like kind of collaboration track that's being worked out. Um, so I did that. But I remember when we were writing the act, um, we were on tour with the data member and we were the one of four slots. So and these huge, huge rooms and you know, kind of small ice hockey arenas. And, you know, we played a half hour a day. So we were just working on tracking vocals. And, you know, you can you can definitely knock out a demo and not feel like you're compromising your voice or, you know, going to be hoarse that night or unable to to perform the next night. So I I, I think it's just so, so mental. And it, there, there's a lot of placebo that's happening. And I've gone through so many different routines as far as trying to keep my voice going. Um, you know, whether you're playing 90 minutes or 45, um, I think some of the, some of the mainstays really is just going to come down to hydration and diet. I think, you know, the, the mental factors can, can kind of waver, come in and out, but you know, if you're eating acidic meals, heavy garlic, two and a half hours (laughs) before your gig every night, it's gonna, it's gonna take a toll, especially when, you you booze the way I do, which you know alcohol relaxes the esophagus, and then I'm one to enjoy a cup of coffee or an espresso. And caffeine um, kind of—I'm I'm anything but a physician, but I know it, it kind of overexcises the esophagus or kind of tenses it up, and then that relaxes it. And these are your reasons for heartburn and whatnot. And I I don't know anyone that's able to perform consistently or, or consistently well that that's dealing with you know that that burning sensation exactly i think you just figure out what to do and what not to do like doing this podcast this is an every single week podcast i have figured out that i need to be done eating a full hour before i talk to the guest because if i try to cram in a meal 20 minutes before you get all weird and mucusy it's it's messy certainly certainly um I, I, I'm also, I don't know about you, but I am very much a, a, a creature of habit and routine, um, specifically when it comes to, to eating every day and whatnot. So 
um, I, I like a schedule for sure. Oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm a creature of habit to probably dangerous levels. <laughs> I eat almost I eat the same things on the same nights. I eat at the same times every day. I eat almost the same things every day. It's a it's a whole thing. I love it. I'm I'm the same way. That that's one of the uh, challenges of tour is that there isn't the reliability um, as well as having a specific diet as, as I am um, a vegan. I don't know how people used to do it. it. It's actually pretty easy these days. You get a dash pass or an Uber eats pass. And even if you're in complete middle of nowhere, you know, you can get your Chipotle or whatever it is, or get an Uber over to whole foods for, for some, for some food. But um, yeah, I'm the same way at home. I eat the exact same breakfast every other day quite religiously. So I, that, that, that's how I am. I, I'm the same way with like my booze. Um, I have three beers. I drink, I drink the exact same amount when I'm home. And um, yeah, it, it's uh, it's not for everyone, but it, it certainly works best for me at this, at this point in time. You know what we did back in the day before Uber Eats or knowing where anything is via a map on a phone? Taco Bell. <laughs> That was the only thing everyone could agree on, vegan, vegetarian, and meat eaters. Yeah, and you know, it's it's quite, it, it's really in vogue again, in fact. Like, our, our camp eats Taco Bell pretty often these days. Yeah. Um, I, I do not, because they'll eat post-show meals, and as much as I'm hungry, I, I can't eat before bed. That's another big no-no for me. It, not only will I sleep well, but also your body's not going to be... Uh, you know, working it off while you're sleeping. So I've, I've got to say no as, as tempted as I can be for some, you know, trashy beans and, and potatoes. But um, <laughs> yeah, ta- I, Taco Bell is a, is a pretty good one for, for the other guys. I know uh, our tour manager is a big Jimmy John's guy. So those guys ate a lot of Jimmy John's this most recent run, but Taco or uh, Chipotle is, is probably what I would venture to say the the go-to meal to satisfy everyone so if you're a creature of extreme habit like i am what do you do to maintain yourself on tour you're on a bus you have a bunk i assume so that probably really helps things but do you need to be away from people for a certain amount of time do you need to warm up before a show like what do you do to keep yourself together you know i (laughs) i had my first therapy appointment in quite a while on friday because by the end of that tour even though it was only four weeks i was like I, I, I lack patience. Uh, I'd say there's been worse times in my life, but it's still very much a, uh, a struggle and a hurdle for me to navigate on, on a daily basis is, is maintaining my patience. And it, it was running real thin there towards the end. And uh, using tools such as therapy obviously goes a long way. Seeing as to your question, I was going about my routines and my my practices as I usually do, but I was still just insufferably agitated so much of the time. So, you know, you, you, you got to figure things out. I definitely love alone time. I came to realize at the end of last year on a European tour that I was overdoing alone time and I needed to find ways to kind of let my guard down and exercise some patience for hanging out with, you know, other band members that don't exactly have the same, I don't know, hobbies or, or interests as I do. Um, I tend to get real cynical and bitter and I've, I've also come to realize that cynicism isn't so much a a virtue, but sort of like uh, almost stifling instead. So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm getting all out there and and, 
but uh, yeah, I, I definitely have things I, I need to keep to. And I'm coming to realize for, I used to exercise a lot on tour and then I realized it was, um, it was kind of going against uh, the show and actually being able to perform and being able to keep, um, you know, your energy up on a nightly basis. But now I'm coming to find that I actually should find more time for exercise on tour, especially when, you know, we're only playing 45 minutes and, you know, getting some, getting some squats in at a hotel on an off day could go a long way. So that's something I'm looking to, to execute. And, um, you know, as rigid of an individual as I am, I, I think that I've come to realize getting older that change is always a good thing. Um, or can be consistently a good thing. Uh, a podcast I listened to was something I really learned was unlearn something on a daily basis. Um, and that's kind of gone a long way, you know, change your mind, um, adjust your perspective, you know, offer empathy and, um, and mix things up and can certainly go a long way. And I, I mention all that certainly as to, you know, your, your routines on tour. I love that. That's great stuff. Yeah. The, the quote I always keep in my mind that I've heard is remain teachable. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's great. I, 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 I think uh, that could be a good reminder for, for anyone. I heard another one yesterday, and I just want to say it out loud so I don't forget it, is yesterday I heard if you're the smartest person in the room, then that's your fault, um, <laughs> which uh, I, I'd like to, I should probably jot down in my, my phone to, to keep in mind, not to say that I'm the smartest person in any room, but I don't know, it, it, it cites uh, a certain level of um, non-complacency and you know, as you said, remain teachable. Yeah, I le- see. I'm thinking about that quote as you say it, and I'm thinking like, wait. So it's like, okay, you got to challenge yourself. Like, you shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. That way, uh, you're experiencing new things, maybe learning new things. That's what I get from it. That's good. I like that. Precisely. Precisely. Very nice. There was something you said about. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the therapy thing is good. I'm involved in some group therapy myself. I do 12-step stuff. Uh, I'm helped. I'm help, I help others. It's really made me a better person, and I love all of that. And I, you know, I struggle with the uh, patience thing, too. And I have found that I can lose my patience, but it's not, it's not as uh, vicious anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I won't try to cut to your core uh, just to make myself feel better. And when I do lose my patience, I find that most times I quickly take responsibility for it. And I say like, look, I'm grumpy. I realize I'm being unreasonable and I apologize. And I think that's the key is to, uh, to just quickly take accountability for it. I love that. You know, I'm, uh, I try to exercise pragmatism as much as I can on a daily basis. It's certainly, um, as someone that again fr- uh, struggles with impatience, you know it can be a, it can be a you know troublesome to a degree. But um, yeah, I, I I've also I think for me as far as also being a drinker is that I've really come to understand when it's time to go to bed and when I'm holding these c- cynical thoughts or just really unreasonable thoughts. It's shut her down for the day, you know, have a look at the, the hockey scores on your phone, close your eyes, drink two bottles of water and call it a night. Um, so I hear that, um, accountability is great and it, it's, it's not easy either. 
Oh, not at all. Because when, you know, I don't know about you, but when I'm right, I'm right. And I don't want to hear <laughs> anything else about it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I can dig that. <laughs> well, you know, you are, you are in this band with other individuals. I'm sure there's a lot of decision making together. I'm sure there's a lot of compromise together and you're on the road together. So you have to figure out how to work together. Certainly. Um, I think, uh, you know, what's funny is after saying all these things and these sort of principles that I, I try to keep myself accountable for, I'm also bad with communicating. So that's something else that I, uh, that I, I, I try to work on. You know, you, you obviously have to communicate when things are, you know, when something needs to be addressed. But at the same time, and what I was going through with, with therapy on Friday was, was very much like, what I was talking about was like, don't rock the boat. Like we, there were some things that were really testing my patience. I felt embittered and it's like, do, do I approach it? Do I try to solve this? Or is it just going to be, you know, kind of souring the pot, if you will, you know, to the vibes are good all around. Am I being nitpicky? Am I being impatient? Should I just let this go, go home and decompress and like, four or five days. So to me that that can be difficult. I'm, I'm, well, it's always important if someone is being a little out of hand to address it, I'm not the best at doing so. I, I would certainly compliment Jeremy at being um, better with confrontation and being able to address people and, and being reasonable. And I just, I get like, when I have to call someone out, I, I get so like nervous and panicky. Um, it's, a, it's another part of why I like doing things myself is if I can do it myself and if I fuck it up, then there's only me to blame and I don't have to confront anyone about it. So there's all this to say many a dynamic in terms of, you know, uh, working with, with five other band members and then six crew that are working their asses off taking care of us and making our show run so effectively all the time. There's many, a deni- many dynamics there. I'd say on a positive note, though, we uh, we are so much better at handling it now than we used to by miles. <laughs> I can imagine. Now, when the band is getting started, I mean, you're what, 17, 18 years? And I'm talking about really getting started. First LP, Dear Love is out. We're probably doing some touring. How old are you at this time? Uh, so I would have been about 17 when Dear Love dropped. Um, I think that was in August of 06 or September of 06. I could be way off. Um, and then I turned 18 in December of 06. And then I graduated high school, um, spring of 2007. And that's when the band started touring full time. Um, Chris, the founding guitar player of the band, him and I were both class of 07. Um, so while the band had got a record label and a booking agent and a manager, um, Chris and I both wanted to finish high school before hitting the road. So we did as such and then started touring full time that summer of 2007. And um, yep, here we are. <laughs> wow. Right out of high school, already doing it full time. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was funny back in the day, Chris and I took a lot of shit from the other members because they were like, you guys have to drop out. We're turning down. I remember we had to turn down a haste the day tour. And I was like, we don't get these opportunities, you know, to us, hates the day was the biggest thing you could ever ask for. So, but lo and behold, 
you know, we got through it. Um, we, we toured spring break of 07, I think was the first time we played with a data member and became close buddies with those guys and yeah, graduated. And then we did like a short, probably two, three week rise records tour. And then we did, it had to be at least six, seven weeks. It was the sounds of the underground tour, which did a number of years. Um, that year headlining was, um, Guar was like shadows fall chimera if i'm not mistaken um wow job for a cowboy eated darkest hour acacia strain goat whore bunch of others in there but and then yeah that was like the first proper sort of summer tour and yeah that's uh that's your first proper summer tour wow way to knock it out of the park on the first try yeah we we've worked with the same booking agent our entire career here in the States. Um, we've had uh, four different managers, you know, a number of different record labels, different agents overseas, but our agent here in the States, um, we've worked with him and now closer with someone else at his agency, but he's overlooked us and taken care of us forever. And he lined that one up. That was actually, we are now his longest uh, sort of client as well, which is funny to think. And um, yeah, growing old together, us and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's pretty good foresight that you had to want to finish high school because I hated high school. So if I was in your position, I probably wouldn't have, but it's a good move on your part. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't even be able to, I figured, you know, I was, I hated high school as well. I, I, I did fine. I was sort of like a B student. Um, I, as one would expect did better in, in literature and art classes than, uh, chemistry and, and such, um, and algebra, but, uh, I hated it. I, I was, I don't, a bit of a recluse. I was, terrified of everyone and therefore they were terrified of me um and when i got out i i kind of felt like you know my life began to some extent that sounds rather cliche but um yeah the, there's just absolutely no way that chris and i were going to get geds um not to speak for his family but um i mean it looking back i didn't realize this but it was very difficult for my family to swallow the fact that i was getting in a van living in a van with a bunch of dudes out of high school rather than going to college as my father um, recently retired was an engineer as was my grandfather. Um, so being the one playing guitar and screaming and just yeah, getting in the van was, was a bit, was a lot for my family to, to, to swallow as much as I didn't even realize it. Cause I was so hell bent on it. But, uh, you know, I've I've learned a lot and it's worked well and I haven't found a better job yet. Yeah, you seem to be doing just fine to me. So it worked out. It's thankfully ups and downs, you know, <laughs> yeah. strikes and gutters. How do your parents feel about it now? Are they at peace with it? Oh, certainly. Um, my old man's around at shows anytime we're in the area and he'll make trips out and get a hotel room and we'll go find local breweries. He's a beer drinker, too. And. We'll just do that. And yeah, the, my, my, my family is, is very supportive as much as early on. They didn't really see where things were going. But yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I mean, understandably so. 
You know, I had this conversation with uh, August Burns Red recently too. The the odds are stacked against you. I mean, a career like the Devil Wears Prada has, if you want to call it that, or August Burns Red, where you you're a band, you stay a band, and you continue through the decades. That's not the common story. You know, these bands implode, especially heavier bands in our scene. They flame out. Things happen. You know, they, they change their sound. People don't like it. The the odds are stacked against you. Yeah, you know, it sort of reminds me. I people always ask, like, what would you recommend to young musicians? And my usual go to is like, don't lose focus on the tunes and the fact that you know you want to write lyrics or perform or um, play guitar, or play drums, you know, whatever. Like, don't don't lose focus on that because as you get older and as you kind of grow through the scene and everyone is getting older, you, you meet people that are like, yeah, I don't pick up guitar between tours. And I always find that really, um, I don't not like sad, but I, I've always considered myself someone that like, if I never, uh, if, if Prada broke up tomorrow or something, I would still record music as I do currently. And I would, not with Prada, of course, if the band broke up, but I would still have my collection of, of guitars and amplifiers and pedals. And I would always love, you know, sitting in a dark room playing down tuned guitars and such. Um, so I, I'm always, I always try to make sure people don't lose sight of that playing guitar is fun. Making tunes is fun, but at the same time, to what you mentioned, there's so much that you learn and you have to be smart and responsible about. It, it's nothing like engineering in terms of what my father did for his whole career. But what I, of, I often see that I, I try to do myself and that also Jeremy does, and Jeremy's dad was is also an engineer, is that you have to have managerial skills. And that's something you never really learn so much in school. Um, and it's a, it's a very different sort of avenue when you're playing music versus what your managerial skills might look like in, in a different workplace, but you have to learn to do that and, and, and communicate. And as, as earlier mentioned, you know, accountability and, and basically just using all these kind of skills and learning these skills for your band to get along a long time. I think this is our first actual tour tour not a warp tour or anything with august burns red here in the states but knowing those guys forever they, they run such a professional ship and brent's very much you know the sort of heel of that or the kind of backbone him and jb and i could totally see even not knowing those guys very well all of the the managerial skills they've they've picked up and learned while coming from you know maybe you know not families of rockers or you know quote-unquote counterculture or creative environments um yeah long-winded to say that there are a lot of lessons to learn and and to observe that are, are so important to to having your band go for for a long while even with that said you know trying to keep keep focus on on making good tunes yeah in that vein how do you process all of this at such a young age out on the road out on these big tours i mean you're not even old enough to drink yet you're in bars you're in clubs you're touring nationally for the first time i th assume 
maybe uh, you're more faith-based at that time, so maybe that factors in too. Talk about that. Talk about seeing the world for the first time and just how you processed all of that. Yeah, yeah as a band that... <laughs> you know, one-time Christian band, long-time Christian band, I always kind of saw that as being some sort of like doctrine within within the the band's whole makeup um, is the fact that while we grew and changed, especially, you know, once we're all in our early 20s and um, some of the band moved out West, half the band, including myself and Jeremy, moved to Chicago we all just took very different perspectives on the world and whatnot. And this is when we started, you know, touring Europe, going to Japan to play for the first time and whatnot. Like I always thought that faith, while we were all changing as people, our, our, our faith and that we had a message we could all agree upon is what kept us together. Um, I certainly don't see things that way these days, um, which isn't to say that it was so much a mistake or something that I regret. Um, but I, I think it was, it was an important principle for us by all means. And it, it also leads me to, you know, back then it was always like, wow, how do you guys not have any member changes? And I was like, that, that was kind of my go-to answer for that. And then, you know, you give it a few years and now Jeremy and I are the only members, original members. And to me, like, I don't see it any differently. The way I see it now isn't so much that, you know, we all have a message to spread as we we have moved away from that. But instead we're all people that want to play live music for a living and, and make tunes. It sounds rather basic or maybe elementary, but I, I find that that's what has the best, the best member lineup of the band hands down um, as much as one would like to argue that um, we've never shared chemistry this well and and had a collective energy as as positive as where we're at now and um you can bitch and moan online that you know <laughs> plagues is better or whatever but uh it will, it will fall on deaf ears <laughs> yeah i mean okay like i think whenever anyone comes into the band they're going to be attached to that era of the band that just happens you know mm -hmm. but if people are with the band they're with the band and they'll like what you guys are doing but from your end when you're with original members that you've been with for a long time, you're tied to a dynamic, you're tied to a dynamic in a relationship, you're tied to how things work. So when that person's gone and someone new comes in, there might be a new dynamic that works better. Definitely. I, I, I think member and lineup changes are always reflected as like a step backwards or a bad thing when instead maybe you're working with a better musician now. Like what, what, what downside is there to that in terms of playing in a band than having more qualified people play the tunes with you, you know? So um, I understand the importance. I understand that just as much as, as I was just mentioning, you know, managerial skills and the things you have to learn and the everything away from actually making and performing music is important to your band making it 20 years I understand that a lot of bands that have kept the same lineups, it's been a very, uh, it's been a major like virtue for lack of better words. Um, and we don't have that, but at the same time, we have a band that's be playing live better than it ever has. So I'm not complaining. From my perspective, it seems like the devil wears Prada has been able to experiment 
with your sound a lot and successfully. You know, the the earlier records sound like the earlier records. It's a nice mix of heavy and somewhat melodic. And then you have straightaway heavy stuff like Zombie and then straight ahead, not heavy stuff like the song Chemical from the act. I mean, it's great to be able to do all that in one band because whenever I hear something new, I'm like, I w- I'm like, I want to start a band like that. I want to start a band like that. So to be able to do all this in one band is great. But, you know, you mentioned some of the comments online, like, do you find a lot of negative feedback sometimes because of those changes that you try? Or I mean, is it just generally okay? Uh, me, not so much. The only comments I read are that which are actively tagging me. I don't read comments on uh, like the band's Instagram. I've never had a Facebook. Um, my Twitter was recently hacked like two weeks ago and they still haven't helped me out get my Twitter back, which has been kind of, as we originally were talking about, maybe a, a bit of a nice break as far as being off of Twitter. Although I'd say I'm not too bad at it. I, I don't let Twitter ruin my my day the way it, it can ruin other people's days. But, uh, you know, in terms of the band mixing things up and writing different songs, I think it's it's pretty, at least in my vision, it's really simple. And it's that John is the main songwriter and John is by no means a metal dude or like a dude, like he, he grew up loving like some like black metal, some, some thrashy shit and whatnot. And he was a goofy scenester, like just as we were, you know, a few States away in Ohio, but he, he went to school for music. He graduated later, even after becoming a full-time touring musician with us, he he graduated online and the, the music he works on regularly daily, because he works on music all day, every day is not metalcore or, or that in Prada's, you know, precise sort of location or, or realm. And as he's written songs that a song like maybe like fire or I can, I'm, I'm blanking right now, but I know he's written songs that he'll show to Jeremy and Jeremy's like, yeah, you're not selling that or giving it to anyone. Prada's taking it because we can make <laughs> this a Prada song. And the thing that John always says is if it has my voice and Jeremy's voice on it, then it can be Prada. Obviously, there are there can be an asterisk to that. But when when I think of songs like Chemical or a song like Fire, and then anything then to Z two or to a song like Hallucinate or Please Say No, like it, I think it all works really well in, in Prada, and um, it's it's by no means a compliment to my voice or to Jeremy's voice. But we've come to find in the music we make, we can, Prada can find an avenue to make different kinds of songs when you're using similar tools being Jeremy and I's voices. Yeah, it must be good to be able to do what you do and take chances and still be successful, still have your fan base, still be able to tour. I mean, we've seen countless bands try something different and uh, just get left by the wayside. Yeah, and... Man, I, you know, I like, it's, it's, it's such a difficult kind of conversation to navigate because as an artist, you don't want to keep doing the same thing. Right. As an artist, you're held to uh, a standard as far as like, oh, you're selling out if you're making more marketable or easily, I don't know, by, by 
popular standards, more digestible, consumable music. I kind of feel like at this point, though, at least in in my head, we've been able to move past that. And I see it directly relating to a band like Bring Me The Horizon doing what they've done. Um, the amount of tickets they sell, the amount of streams, just, you know, all those boring numbers and whatnot. But they're a band that just did whatever the fuck they wanted forever. And look how well it's, it's treated them. And I feel like those are the kind of bands as well as, you know, like Architects and Parkway, A Day to Remember, bands that are screaming and playing breakdowns that are headlining arenas, that it's it's this movement from, you know, the early 2000s and it's finding its avenue now just as sort of hard rock and new metal and, and new rock we're doing um, from the early 90s into the early 2000s. Um, something I kind of come back to in a conversation I've that's been had with agents and whatnot is like you can only have, you know, Iron Maiden down uh, like headline the festival so many times, you know. Like eventually there will not be Iron Maiden, you know, like who, who's the next one. And I think it's the whole scene working together to, to, to pump up bands that come from, you know, hardcore metalcore, the, the quote unquote scene from back in the day. And it, it, it works in our favor. It works in Prada's favor by all means. Um, I was, I talked to my buddy, Tom from uh, straight from the path often about it. I talked to, uh, Adam or A&R at the label, um, high tide rises all ships, you know, like it, it's weird too. Cause for the longest time it, it felt like a competition and it's kind of nice now. In fact, in terms of bands doing what they want, um, younger bands doing what they want and really killing it, it, it really helps the whole world. And, and I'll say the world in, in terms of, you know, our world or, sort of in quotations, I suppose. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange to think about all these years. I got into hardcore, the scene, whatever, I guess around 98. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is pre-internet, pre- well, pre-internet being such a thing, pre-social media, just bands out on the road, touring, which is still a thing, of course. But, you know, you have to go to a record store to get a flyer to find out about a show. And we're seeing Poison the Well blow up for the first time. And that really set a lot of things in motion. And so much has changed. And you've seen it all change firsthand, I'm sure. But I think at the core of it, it's still just bands making music and getting out there and, and playing it. You know, it's just the, the delivery methods have kind of changed. For sure. I completely agree. I mean, I, I kind as someone that I I had my struggle with streaming platforms and and such i i quite like that we're at a point now where we don't have to talk about it and we don't have to be a bunch of boomers complaining about the same things you know <laughs> like yeah over and over about oh this that this that like i think the only time you really see it is when you have like some of these like huge rock bands from the late 90s or whatever and they kind of come back and they see you know screamy bands such as prada or whatever on the bill and whatnot like that that level of jaded I think it's actually also in part to COVID and the fact that we all missed getting to get out there and, and consume music and perform music is that the jaded factor has drastically decreased, which is a, a wonderful thing. Like to your point, like, yeah, like 
we still tour as it's always been. And there are different ways of receiving and getting engaged with music. But even, even someone that can be as cynical as me feels like if you have an issue with, with how things are right now, it's, it's a bit of the old man yelling at cloud type deal. (laughs) Always a great solid reference. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's it. Exactly. That's it. Exactly. I, um, I'm happy with the way things are right now because, all right, bands still aren't making money. That's a problem, you know, because I guess we can blame Spotify and all that stuff. But there's a lot of great things happening now. There's a lot of exciting new younger bands coming up. I've seen a couple hardcore bands on Coachella. Mm-hmm. I Here's my theory, Mike. I think there's going to be like another wave of hardcore punk in the mainstream a bit more kind of like there was in the early 2000s what do you think i mean yeah i haven't mentioned knock loose yet but they're obviously just beating just bursting through any sort of ceiling that has ever been placed over them right Um, to me it's it's i take the same sort of optics into athletics in terms of the more the merrier if if i don't like the tunes and a lot of the time, in honesty, I don't. Um, it really has no part of the conversation. It really doesn't matter if I like or don't like your band. And I certainly have gotten over the fact that I would, at one point in my life, worry about someone else's music that I don't like. So with that said, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just getting back to the, like, don't be a jaded old asshole sort of, of thing, but I, I, I think a lot of things are working in our favor. And I'm also coming from the point of not one to call themselves an optimist. Like, yeah, Spotify need, doesn't pay bands enough. Another huge conversation these days is, is merch cuts at venues. You know, it, it's, it plays itself out quickly, but it's like, okay, we're bringing all the bodies into the room for your alcohol sales. Why are you taking our money from merch? And we're not taking money from your bar. Um, right. There are certainly, certainly <laughs> any number of, of points in in our world. Obviously, you know, the Ticketmaster conversation that I wish we, we, we could stop talking about it, but it is so bizarre. You know, I, I, I saw it getting attention online the other day and I'm like, oh, so... The Cure just announced the a North American tour. I'm like, okay, they're playing United Center in Chicago. Like, I would love to go. And then I'm like, oh my god! Like, as someone that attends sporting events frequently, I know what Ticketmaster does. But I'm like, God, what what is it going to be for an arena show? <laughs> like, I can't even imagine. So, I uh, do you think it's like three hundred dollars for one ticket? It's it, it's crazy, and you know it, it's it sucks. And I feel rather ignorant to, to kind of lose perspective on that because, you know, I'm making a living doing this and going out there and all these venues that are, you know, live nation and such are going to have these ticket master fees and all these thousands of people are, are having to deal with that. And I'm not so much. So there, there are certainly things to be improved, but at the same time, like, at this point, and I'm, I'm, I wouldn't consider myself a seasoned vet, but I've been around long enough to see that culture and society can change things and, and can evolve to work better for the, the common consumer. Um, 
with that said, it, it, it is taking a while to, to right the wrongs of these ticket sales apps and platforms, as well as streaming numbers that are pumping money to the, the huge artists. Yeah, I feel like it's getting worse and it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. And, you know, if I if I opened Safari right now and looked up how much those ticket fees are for the Cure Tour, I'm sure like I could I could get rather inflamed quite quickly, um, <laughs> which is to say, I don't know how much worse I can get. I, I just... Even in, again, my short lifetime of consuming music versus, you know, old punks and, and such guys from the 70s and 80s and obviously much before then, too, like there will be some means of consuming music next. You know, we, we can obviously see that it changes and we'll see what's what's next in, in the docket. Yeah, they'll, they'll um, something will change again, and they'll figure out how to screw over all of the bands again. I'm sure of it. I'm sure they will do it. And the major record labels will be way behind it. Like it'll yeah. be like Netflix DVD rentals being behind streaming, you know, TV and, <laughs> and movies and whatnot. Um, they always find a way. Indeed, I, I, I think the one that I hear a lot. I'm a uh, a, a huge, huge fan of Steve Albini and he can, you could probably record him eating a meal and I would listen to it because I can't <laughs> consume enough of, of his thoughts and such. Um, but he always says that basically there's going to be a platform that automatically finds your songs that are already streaming for free and kind of just all navigates it to one place rather than paying a monthly subscription so, you know, if you typed in whatever song, there's going to be some kind of middle ground, almost like a Google search that finds it for free on Bandcamp or SoundCloud or YouTube, and then just pulls it into this rather than, and you know, you basically listen to music for free via that rather than paying um, Spotify. So I could definitely see something like that happening. I, I know there are conversations as to why that that wouldn't or couldn't happen. But I think it just for the sake of an example that there will be another means and it's like in, in patterns, it will likely not benefit the artist as what would one would consider fair, but uh, what's, what's complaining about it going to do <laughs> nothing at all. Yeah. So Devil put out an excellent new record last year, Color Decay on Solid State. Yes, that's the one. How's it been going? How do we feel? We feel great. Um, the the set list we're playing on the August Burns Red Tour is very Color Decay heavy, and it felt wonderful for the whole first leg. I imagine the second leg will will be great too. Um, so we're we're pumped. We we just I think it was actually yesterday or Wednesday that we announced the deluxe edition with some bonus tracks and remixes and acoustic songs. So we're pumped. Um, during the pandemic, we we swapped management and we had a great relationship with our last team. But Paul, who we're working with now, is is the absolute best, and he shares such a vision. And he's so he's just so hopped up on cold brew and espresso to. <laughs> get things done and to see trends to see what's happening next and everything that 
um, the band is, is, is in a really wonderful place in, in large part to him and in large part to his working color decay and getting it out in front of people to, to check out. That's awesome. Yeah. Did, uh, did this record get delayed by the pandemic at all or was it after? No. Um, you know, it's, it's funny to not complain about your record label, but solid state has been an absolute dream for Prada. Um, we are just out, uh, with our A&R and the owner of the label, uh, just like a week and a half ago having dinner. And it's funny because every time we're hanging out with Paul, he says like, I love working with solid state. Your label is great. They're perfect for the Devil's Prada. And then we'll be hanging out with our, the, the team at the label. And they're like, we love working with Paul. If he ever asks for anything, he has great reason to ask, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's, yeah, I, I, I can't say enough how great the team is and that certainly circles back to the pandemic and we we worked on these songs and we had everything ready to go uh, a long while with how long it takes to get vinyl pressed so um, thanks to our team we were well prepared for it but really just through covid you know we we did our best to survive you know work part-time jobs do what we had to do you know, to, to make ends meet, do the live streams, um, and also do the Z2 EP, which, which turned out well and, and was received well, which we're grateful for. We were, before the pandemic happened, we were going to do two new zombie songs for like a 10 year anniversary. And then when the pandemic did happen, we had all the time in the world to create more than two songs. And that was a really, um, a bit of a saving grace in terms of the pandemic and, and for the band was to be able to make those songs and, and do the streams online and everything, the, the performance streams, the live streams. So yeah, it, uh, a lot of now that, you know, we're, we're, it's in the review mirror, at least for me, I know for other people, not so much. And I don't mean to speak for everyone, everyone's experiences, but I, I think we did pretty good, at least how I felt going into the pandemic and the, heightened sense of hopelessness that we actually came out with a lot of um a lot of perspective and and uh and a better understanding of of who we are and what we can do as as the devourers product yeah yeah i've been thinking a lot about that time lately i think i'm still there in a way because this i took this podcast full time right as it, the pandemic kicked off and I don't know. I'm I'm just inside in front of computers all day long and I I kind of don't want to be anymore so I I'm going to have to think about that. But uh in terms of uh yourself, Mike, did you have to get a part-time job or how did you make ends meet while all that was going on? I did. Um we we were only about a week into the tour we were performing and that was going, you know, to be my means of income for until the next tour we were planning and obviously it got pushed and pushed and pushed and then canceled and everything reevaluated about a year and a half later or whatever it was. So I, I tried to work at Ikea that didn't go through. I ended up uh, contacting a buddy here in Milwaukee um, who works for a liquor beverage distributor. And I got a job as a merchandiser, um, which was pretty nice. It didn't pay well, but um, you know, I, I, I made it, <laughs> I, I, I was able to get by and, you know, I'm not in debt or, you know, I didn't, my dogs aren't living on the street or anything such as that. So yeah, I'm not, 
bigger or better than anybody else having to, you know, make ends meet. I've, I did it a lot in Chicago before the pandemic, walking dogs, working at bars and whatnot, you know, there, there are ups and downs and I don't know, there are positive experiences one can take from it. So that was kind of where we were at. We did the podcast as well, um, which was really just, I think for me, just a means of socializing with absolutely anybody. And it, it felt like a, a productive and a, um, a positive means of, of connecting the band members on a, a regular basis. And then when things started opening up, I realized that I am, we started the podcast as saying, why on earth would we do this? And then <laughs> once things opened up a bit, it was like, yeah, now I know why on earth we shouldn't do this, but <laughs> certainly no regrets. Um, but uh, yeah, just a, another sort of tool or means of, of getting through a worldwide pandemic. So no more podcasts now that uh, now that you're back out into the world. I, you know, I'd love to do another one, um, at least at some point. But at the same time, my position within the band, besides you know doing my part as the vocalist on tour and and writing the songs with John and whatnot, or whomever we're working with writing songs, uh, I don't have as much of a role behind the scenes as I used to. And I really like it that way. <laughs> and I also like my time being away from the band when I'm not on tour or actively writing or recording. All of this to say that I, I, I like to keep busy and I always need to be doing something. And there are things that I like doing better than producing, editing, and scheduling podcast recordings. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a grind. It's a real grind. And I always say this, but look, it sounds like it could be easy or is easy. If you want to do it and you want to do it well, it's not at all. You would know better than anyone. You know, it's almost like the there are analogies or about bass players. You're either the best bass player in the world or you're the worst bass player in the world. <laughs> you know, there's no in between. Or another one Kyle said recently was... Um, uh, hardest instrument to master, but the easiest instrument to pick up. I think that could, there's a lot of parallels there to podcasting as well. Yes. <laughs> no, I, yeah, no, I'm in terms of, uh, well, uh, sorry to all bass players out there. I'm one too. So I can say this in terms of respect to it's like, you know, we're not, we're not looking for podcasters. We're not propping them up necessarily. It's a, it's a grind. I, I represent the working class here. I'm, I'm here for it. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm born Pittsburgh. I, I, I respect blue collar. <laughs> yeah. But you know what you, you remind me. Yes. It, it's being able to podcast through, the worst part of the pandemic was probably what got me through it. You know, I, I went through a nasty breakup during the pandemic. That was a whole thing to deal with. And just, just to be there with a friend every week and get to talk to all the musicians I like the best, I would say that got me through it. I mean, did you find the same experience? I too went through a, a major breakup. Um, you know, man, like I, that was like, <laughs> At, at at the height, when we first started it, we were sometimes doing like three a week. Oh, wow. um, so in terms of editing it down and then listening back to it to make sure I didn't screw anything up, 
you know, obviously it took hours and hours out of the day. And and to me, it, it kind of felt like it was, it was a means of productivity that I could be inspired to do. Because one of the hardest things I, I had when the pandemic hit was that I couldn't create in all of my favorite ways, like, or even consume. Um, as someone that I, I like to pride myself just as much as a music consumer, as a music creator, I couldn't be bothered making tunes, playing guitar. I couldn't be bothered finding a bunch of new bands all the time, checking out new artists. Um, I couldn't be bothered writing at all. I couldn't be bothered reading at all, which was obviously the easiest thing that could be done with a, a, a shutdown. Um, none of those avenues worked for me at all. And then I came to realize that, you know, grinding away, editing a podcast, which is, as, again, as you very well know, and through all my tangents, which I apologize to editing, you're going to have to do what I'm just up in the clouds <laughs> rambling. I found that that was a means of productivity that was very positive for me during that time. Uh, same with like woodworking and, and fixing up things. I, I fell in love with again more than I had in years, really since I was a kid in my dad's workshop growing up. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's kind of just another, again, I, there's obvious, I'm not looking for another pandemic COVID 20 tomorrow or something, but I, I did try to take as much good from it as I could, which I will pat myself on the back for as, as not a overall cheery sort of individual. <laughs> I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. You see, you're, you're reminding me of all this stuff as I'm listening to you speak. I, my whole life is so different now. I was so wide eyed and optimistic before I had tickets to all these gigs. I just wanted to go to the show and be happy. And, and that was it. And now everything is, is different forever changed. You know, I'm hunkered down here in my, in my uh, bunker, speaking to artists like yourself every week and chopping away at these files, editing them down. It's a, you know, it's a, things are very different from three years ago. I hope for the better. <laughs> I would say so. Good. I would good. say, cause I'm, I'm doing what I want to do now, you know, and <laughs> that, that's what, that's what's important. Indeed. I, yeah. I have, you have my full agreement. Yes. So what what do you do? What else do you do besides you know touring in this band and uh, formerly podcasting? Oh, you're a <laughs> hockey player, right? I am. Hockey is a, a a huge part of my life. Another sort of positive from COVID was that I created a hockey brand called Hacksaw Hockey with a buddy of mine, in part to open my participation within the game and hopefully be involved in the game at a higher level. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been a lot of work, but I've come to really appreciate it. I had, or I have, I have a coffee brand called dogma. I had created shortly before the pandemic and hacksaw has just really become a part of my vision and, and, you know, something I, I wake up to do every day and something that keeps me busy. Um, as well as actually playing the game itself. Um, I try to skate as much as, as possible when I'm home. Um, our photographer on tour and off tour, I, uh, Amani, Amani grew up a figure skater. So she brings her ice skates on tour. Um, Mason, our bass player, just uh, 
how do I say this? He, he, he had the hand-me-downs from his older brother. So he has skates. He goes on skates with us as well as our new drum tech, Max. So we, uh, we go ice skating on tour when we have off days. It's great. Um, I used to play on tour, but now I don't want to hurt myself in the band Yeah, to kill me for hurting myself playing hockey exactly. rather than playing music uh, on tour. So I had to dial that back a bit, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm a, a huge fan of hockey. I like to read and write. Um, I, I, I try to keep uh, disciplined about reading actively all the time. Um, I like woodworking. I love cooking. I love dogs. I have two pups that I, I mind here at home and house plants, landscaping. I, I love, I love normalcy, I suppose at a, a pretty heightened degree. I, I like, um, my home and maintaining and, um, I like home renovations. That's like another YouTube wormhole that I, you know, I fix up my house myself. I try to hire out contractor work as little as possible and just learn to do it myself. So I, I live, um, really just like a, a bit of a dad life without kids here in, in Wisconsin. And, uh, I, I, frankly wouldn't have it any other way. I, I really like living here and it's been a number of years and, uh, yeah, just uh pretty routine. I'd say. That sounds nice. Are you still in Milwaukee? Yep. Yep. So I was Chicago for about nine years. And then when I wanted to slow things down, get a house rather than a condo, I moved up this way and I'll be going down to Chicago tomorrow without Without COVID, I'm down there usually at least once every other week, maybe once a week getting tattooed, um, working with my partner at Hacksaw. He lives down there, um, playing hockey, drinking beer, eating food. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I get to go down there and enjoy Chicago openly without the pandemic and then get to live a, a slower lifestyle up here in Wisconsin uh, regularly. So it's great. Was Milwaukee up in arms when the new Jeffrey Dahmer show came out on Netflix? <laughs> Did you, were you privy to any of that? You know, I wasn't. Um, but that hotel, the Ambassador, is just over by the Rave, which is where I think just about everyone has played. Um, you know, if you're in a rock band, um, it's actually, I think, about the only place I've ever played here in Milwaukee. Um, I actually stayed at the hotel once, too. but. Um, you know, I, 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 not, I, I, at least from my perspective, I don't think anyone was up in arms. The, the sort of normal Wisco things are more just like the, the, the brandy old fashioned, the, uh, fish fry Fridays, sausage, beer, cheese, Packers football, Miller Lite. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- these are the delicacies of, of greater Southeast Wisconsin. That sounds that sounds about right, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Mike, let's talk about what we've got coming up. We've got the next leg of this August Burns Red 20th anniversary tour. That's kicking off. That's picking back up on April 13th in Philadelphia, yes? Correct. And that is my home city, so the shout out Philly. Are are you still in Philly now? No, I'm in Brooklyn now. I thought so. I have no, yeah. I don't know if that was in this email I got with a link to our conversation, but um, yeah, I, I look forward to being back in Philly. It's a, it's a bit of an abusive town, not dissimilar to Chicago, but um, 
Yeah, it should be great. I mean, that's pretty much hometown for ABR, so it's cool to kick off leg two there. Um, I have a tattoo appointment that afternoon, so I'll, I'll do that and then, you know, rip a gig. Nice. Where where are you getting the tattoo? Um, Like on my body or where's the shop? Uh, the shop. The sh- I, I forget the name of the shop, but I, I the dude's name is, I think, Chris Day or Chris... I could not be a piece of shit and look at it in my laptop right now, but I'm not going to. Um, but uh, he seems like a great dude. Um, I look forward to it, even though I'm, I'm doing uh, a tattoo on my right hand, right where I bash a microphone into my face uh, on a nightly basis. So that's a stupid idea that I'm executing. But, um, uh, you know, I, I hear this, this venue we're playing is, is immaculate. Yeah, I look forward to it. You know, find a vegan cheesesteak somewhere. Yeah, I think Govinda's is the spot if that's still around. Yeah, Govinda's chicken cheesesteak is a good one. Um, although <laughs> it's been years since I've had a cheesesteak and then performed a Devil Wars Prada set uh, comfortably. So you'd think I'd be smart enough not to do that. We'll see. You know, I, I can't I can't turn it down. Some Some junky, greasy garbage. Uh, of the plant-based variety. So we'll see. Maybe I'll just try to eat it as early in the day as possible to avoid the the weight once I'm on stage. That's what you need to do. Yeah. If you do that an hour before you go on, it's it's over. That's a a terrible idea. Indeed. (laughs) So what else? Anything else coming up that we can announce or... uh... Um, I'm not sure when this podcast will be dropping, but we have some about two dozen items we're auctioning we're going to be announcing soon over the weekend um that might we we have a proper means of announcing those things but um all to benefit uh suicide prevention so i really look forward to doing that i I was packaging up items before hopping on here this afternoon um but i really look forward to that uh listeners of prada fans of prada or anyone interested can check out color decay deluxe edition we just dropped a song called reaching next up is a song called ignorance those are those are in the docket and yeah, leg two of the ABR tour and then it looks like a, a pretty relaxing summer here in Wisconsin, you know, just handling my my chores. So twenty twenty three looks pretty good. Hey, it's been great so far and I hope it stays that way. Agreed. Certainly agreed. <laughs> well, Mike, I wanna thank you for taking the time to come on the show today, you know. Thank you for what you and the guys do and keep it up. I, I appreciate you asking me to come on. I'm, I'm rather humbled with your, your, uh, your collection of guests and whatnot. So uh, I appreciate you asking and um, yeah, lovely chat. And there you have it, Mike Hiranica. Really nice conversation. And a really nice conversation that happened on the day that I needed a nice conversation to happen. That was the day where I freaked out and I felt overwhelmed by everything and shut off my phone for the entire day. And the only thing I had to do that day was that interview with Mike. So I'm just really happy that the conversation went well and that he was nice. And it was just great hearing about the band, you know all the mental health stuff, all the routine stuff, talking about surviving the pandemic. We covered it all. And look, The Devil Wears Prada has been doing it for a long time and doing it very well. So 
Very happy to talk to Mike. Thank you again for coming on the show. And on the mental health tip, as I sit here tonight, Sunday, I am celebrating six years clean and sober. Please, please, please. Oh, okay. You can clap a little longer. Okay. So the past month or so has been difficult. I always feel weird around this time. And I'm just happy to be on the other side of it now. Usually I start to feel better. You know, I get the anniversary out of the way. Uh, I usually speak at a couple meetings. I'll do that later this month. Past it, hoping to feel better now mentally, physically, all that good stuff. But it's been a good weekend. I hung out with friends. I went out and I got out. And you know what? There was some uh, There was some stuff I got upset about, but I talked to people and dealt with it before I did anything stupid. So it's always nice when I can do that rather than reacting negatively to things. So that's good. Yeah, just just an overall good weekend. And I'm happy about that. So what else is going on? Okay, last weekend, I saw the Callous Dow Boys live at St. Vitus. Now, this is a great band, both on record and live. Uh, if you haven't heard Celebrity Therapist yet, do yourself a favor and do that. And if you haven't seen the band live yet, I really recommend that as well. They just have a great sense of humor, and the live show is super, super entertaining. It's not just them playing the songs. There's all these sample interludes and stuff. Like, all right, before one song, they start playing the intro to the Hoobastank song, the piano. What's the, I'm not a perfect person, that song. They start, like, they're playing the piano interlude, and I'm like, what the hell? Are they going to cover this song? And they seamlessly transition from the sample right into one of their songs and just hit you with it. And, you know, Carson, the singers, just says funny stuff before breakdowns. He's like, I want everybody to run outside, buy another ticket, and run back into the show. And, you know, the crowd's going off. Super energetic set. Very fun band. Can't say enough good things. So I'm glad I went out and got to a gig. You know, my friend asked me to go to the show, and I, whenever anyone asks me to go to a show, I just instinctively say no, because, <laughs> because I don't like going out that much, especially to shows. Not Nothing against the bands or anything. I'm just old. I'm tired. And it's hard for me to be outside and around people for long periods of time. It just is. That's just me. But I was like, listen, you want to be included in things more. You want to go out more. You're going to regret it if you don't go to the show. It's right up the street. Just say yes. Just say yes and go. So I did, and it was fun, and I'm glad I went. So maybe I'll get out more. Maybe I won't. I don't know. Uh, more will be revealed. But uh, great gig. Shout out to the Callous Dow Boys. Uh, how about we read a listener email that I got this week? Uh, we got a new message from Tyler. Tyler says, hey, Keith, I've been really enjoying the podcast and in particular, it's been reinvigorating my love of this day forward. All right. I only saw them once. I only saw them once at the brewery in Raleigh, North Carolina with Thursday, and I bought In Response that night and loved them ever since. I think I recall you saying you were on that tour, so I wonder if I bought that album from you. And uh, Tyler went on just to talk about some of the struggles he's had and how the show helped out, and he recommended a book for me. And I really appreciate that. You know, anybody who says that this show can help them and, you know, right hearing these messages from all of you helps me. It's a it's a good community 
thing we have going here. And Tyler, I do think I sold that CD to you because I was on that Thursday tour. I was selling merch on that tour. So that's pretty wild. And remember last week, I read the emails from Travis and Eric. It turned Those guys both messaged me. It turns out they know each other. They know each other in Salt Lake City. So they're going to reconnect and go to a show or something. So I thought that was pretty cool. So thanks to everybody who's writing. And thanks to everybody who reached out today on my clean date anniversary. I heard from friends and all of that, of course. But I, I even heard some, from some people who just listened to the show. And that was really cool. You know, To I was uh, in uh, negative thoughts for most of the weekend because of some dumb stuff that happened and the leaps in logic that I can take. But it's hard to be upset today because there's just been such an outpouring of support for me. And it's been a good day. So I'm really happy about that. There's a lot to look forward to. Speaking of, don't forget, the Darling Fire has some tour dates coming up with the great spotlights. That week of shows is kicking off June 9th in Miami. We're going to Miami, Tampa, Orlando, Jacksonville, and then West Columbia, South Carolina. So if you live anywhere near those areas, come by to a gig and say hello. All right, so earlier in the show, I mentioned I'm digging the new Jerome's Dream record, right? So we are going to end the show with one of my favorite songs from their new record, The Gray In Between. The song is called Pines on the Hill with Guests. So that's it for this week. I'm back next week with a new episode and a new guest. So thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time.